one covenant of grace Different administrations One mediator throughout all generations The same efficacy in every dispensation Crystal-centric motifs and recapitulation What I'm saying is Christ was in the garden with Adam He showed them penal substitution Clothed them, atoned for them And drove them out from the garden temple But Adam was a Christian with the full gospel info Like Enoch preached Christ coming with thousands tenfold On every page of scripture is Christ inscribed in bold You didn't know, my dude, you were slow learner But draw near, God is here with the sojourner That old hermeneutic you're using is useless If it ain't crystal-centric, it ain't Frank and Murrah a slow burner for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. How's it going? This is Reforming Worship Podcast, and I'm Pastor Caleb, and this is uh, Deacon Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? Hey, Caleb. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, let's uh, talk about the gospel real quick. That is as summarized as you can get the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I delivered to you first importance that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Right there, if uh, a Christian, a true Christian, is somebody who believes the gospel, has repented of their sin, and has been baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you. Water baptism doesn't save you. But it does join you to the visible church, just like regeneration or um, spiritual baptism, we could call it, uh, unites you to Christ internally. So... um, and noticing just this last uh, episode that we did, we're talking, we ended it with living consistently with this covenant theology, with this covenant theology we're throwing out there. I realize that we were throwing around some big terms that people might not know right away. First of all, the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. The gospel is given to us by God. It's by the decree of the Father through the person of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the good news of how we can be right with God. Um, With this gospel, as we believe these things which Christ did, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, and all of it's according to the scripture, we want to hasten to point out something that our Roman Catholic friends are not going to like, and where I uh, I think a lot of Reformed people are lacking too. I think the Christian church in general is lacking this. When we look at the death, burial, and resurrection, Um, that's generally what we say the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. What we need to be emphasizing is that it's according to the Scripture. So if it's death, burial, resurrection, and according to the Scriptures, what's repeated in that? The only thing that's repeated is according to the Scriptures. Sola Scriptura, the Scriptures are the sole infallible rule of faith in the church. Now what's that mean? That means that they're the highest court of appeals. You can't go beyond the Scriptures, right? They... uh, the church has many rulers, has many ruling authorities. Our church has a uh, constitution. We also um, we also hold to the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We have pastors and elders and deacons. There are all sorts of rules of faith in the church, but the only one that's infallible and the only one that's ultimate is the Scriptures. So if you believe that, that Christ died for our sins— in that he was buried and he rose again, and all of that's according to the Scriptures. That is, you're going to spend the rest of your life seeking out everything that it means that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Then you're going to spend the rest of your life searching that out in the Scriptures to find out 
everything that that means, you indeed are in Christ. And if you are not joined to a visible church, if you're not joined to an actual church, you're in rebellion against the scriptures. You must be baptized. Anyway, so that's the gospel in a nutshell. Let's talk about, we, we talk so much about the singularity of the covenant of grace uh, last last week. Um, we talked about in Hebrews chapter 4 that even the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert, they had the same gospel preached to them as we have. So this whole death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, that was preached to Israel in the desert thousands of years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem, thousands of years before the incarnation. So um, really kind of quickly here, uh, let's break down what a covenant is. Let's break down what a covenant is. Andrew, how would you break that down? What's a covenant? Uh, Well, I would say a covenant involves two people, and that would be um, a greater uh, coming to the lesser, if you will, uh, in, in making an agreement. Yes, absolutely. Now, immediately... What should be going off in your head right now? Unfortunately, Christians are just, they're primed to just agree. Oh, that sounds biblical. Okay, yeah, sure. sure. Well, well, think about it, though. One of the, that's so important what you said. In order for a covenant to be made, it's a, it's a, it's a collection of solemn vows, basically, is what it is. The greater has to come to the lesser, right? That's the polar opposite of the sinner's prayer, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> right, where we go knocking on heaven's door, uh, to quote Bob Dylan. And, uh, it, you know, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask you to come into my heart. Well, yeah. well, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You don't want him in your heart. No, you want him want up him. there <laughs> interceding for you. That's yeah. huge. All right, so that goes really to the heart of what the scriptures are, right? So I, I think a lot of Christians... They feel the need to uh, kind of agree, you know. Um, yes, uh, the scriptures are infallible. Yes, the scriptures can never be wrong. They can't err. They're the perfect. Uh, they're the perfect word of God. But a lot of times, people, I don't think that the people of God know what the scriptures are. Right? I get a lot of bad answers for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, let's talk about what are the scriptures exactly. Well, we could say that there are covenant documents. We could start there, right? Very good. Yeah. Where, where were you going with that? That's what I was going to say. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, we have to view the scriptures as our covenant documents belonging to the church. We have to see them as that first and foremost. Um, if they're anything other than that, um, there tends to be a lot of confusion. And so, eh. Oh, I hear you. How many times have you heard um, somebody say, um, God wrote you 66 love letters in the Bible. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I remember um, I remember one time uh, in my early youth writing in a Bible uh, something that a youth pastor told me to. He, he told me to, at the front of my Bible, write, Dear Caleb, and on the back of the Bible, write, Love God. <laughs> and it's like, that is the chief sin of, as far as our worship goes, I think this is the chief sin, the chief heresy of our day, if you will, and that's individualism. Amen. 
Now, you hate individualism almost as much as I do. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we strive to hate individualism as much as we possibly can. Always striving. Always striving. If you do hate individualism more than I do, let me know what you're doing so I can hate it more. But break yeah. it break it down. What our hatred for individualism? What is it, where does that come from? Why are we so mad about that? Um, well, I think that um, originates with the love that we have for the church and seeing that the church is um, not individual unto itself. The church is that which Christ shed his blood to purchase. Um, and it's not confined uh, to our individual local uh, sessions and congregations. Uh, we belong to something much bigger than that, that uh, is broader, even than the day and age in which we live, like we've established, goes back to uh, uh well, even the garden. Um, so Amen. we are not, um, yeah, we're not individual unto ourselves. We belong um, to part of a corporate body. And, well, uh, there's there's a phrase. I think you may have borrowed it from Douglas Wilson. Uh, and I could be wrong on that. I just know I've heard you say it. I haven't heard anybody else say it, so I don't know where the quote is actually from. But it's actually uh, likening an egg to an omelet um, in you know the this the single egg loses its identity and becomes part of the whole when it's joined to the omelet um and that's uh that's the idea yeah absolutely that um <clears throat> that uh that quote is Wilson and it comes from his primer on worship and reformation okay recovering the high church that's puritan right, I read it there yeah yeah that is the greatest book for worship for its size bar none <clears throat> excuse me Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. Anyway, we, we talk about the communal participation of yeah, go for it. Um, the blood and the body of Christ, um, you know, as as something given to the church. So, I mean, I mean, there's there's so much to say uh, about individualism um, as a as a enemy, um, right? When we're considering the church as a as a body, as a entity, as a universal united front. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and and uh, and and just a note on throat clearing or misspeaking or things like that. There are two options, and I know the professional option is that you wanna you wanna edit all this and make this recording sound really awesome. I know that's how most people do podcasts, but then we don't get to make fun of ourselves. So we're gonna clear our throats and we're going to misspeak and we're gonna make fun of each other and we're gonna openly correct each other right on the right on the air and it's gonna be hilarious. So um if you're looking for a polished recording we probably are not the people you want to be listening to. But anyway <laughs> now let's talk about that um let's bring these two streams of thought together number one the gospel uh is central to the christian faith the gospel has always been present in the life of the church or israel or whatever you want to call her but god's covenant people whether you call it israel whether you call it the church sethites what have you um and by the way, Israel and the Israel and the church are not two distinct entities. We can't ever get national Israel Amen. confused with covenant Israel. We are Israel, Paul says. Um, Philippians 3, we are the true circumcision, right? Uh, Galatians 3, we who, are, um, we who are of faith are with covenant Abraham. Abraham is right. our father. So when we talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're not talking about... Um, those who said his blood be on us and on our children, 
right? We're talking about those who are according to faith. So let's bring the, uh, so the gospel is what belief in the gospel and consistent practice with the gospel is what marks God's covenant people out. The covenant is a list of solemn vows that God makes with us, and the Bible is our covenant document. And we need to, let's bring these two streams of thought together. The Bible is our covenant document, and we need to be on a search and destroy for the heresy of individualism. So let's talk about this for a second. Um, so an individualist is going to read the Bible like it's a grab bag of inspirational quotes, right? And they're going to have a really hard time with the Old Testament. The Old Testament's going to turn into just story time, right? And then um, it's and then you turn Paul's words and almost like to almost into Aesop's fables, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's like these are wise words that you should apply to your life. I mean, most preaching will be just obsessed with applying it to your life. It's inconsistent with the hermeneutic that Jesus taught us. Right, right. And he taught us that, that um, well, I summarize it this way. And I get called on this, believe it or not. I summarize it this way. All the law, all the prophets, all the writings speak of Jesus, right? Yeah. Now, believe it or not, and this, the, you know, this person just really loves the word of God and he wanted to be really, really careful. But... Um, so Luke 24, 44, and 45, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, right? Um, in, in Luke uh, 24, 25, he, he then said to them, O foolish one and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, right? Um, and so that's why I, that's why I don't have any problems saying all the law, all the prophets, all the writings, Right? But somebody pointed out to me, you might you might be coming across and you're preaching like you're quoting Luke there. Well, okay, so I'm summarizing, but um, I've actually heard it argued. No, he's saying you don't believe in all the prophets, all of what the prophets are saying. You believe in some of it, but you don't believe in all of it. You missed a couple minutiae about how Jesus comes. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying yeah. that all the Bible is about Jesus. That's what he's saying. Yeah. So if you're reading the Bible and you don't see Jesus, you're reading it wrong. Right, so when we look at individualism um, versus the Bible being our covenant documents, now what do I mean when I say covenant document? I mean like vows at a wedding, right? That you will love and honor and cherish your wife. Um, by the way, one of the ways we profane marriage is by writing our own vows. Right, God requires something from you uh, in your vows, and I, I guess you can write your own vows if you want. Just don't take away from the traditional vows. Right, God's vows, not to us as individuals, but to the church corporately. That that's what the Word of God is, and so there are basic elements to um, to a covenant. First of all, as you mentioned, the sovereign is identified; the greater makes himself known to the lesser. Um, and from there, there are a there are lists of blessings for obedience, a list of curses for disobedience. That's not in enough wedding vows. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob strike me if I'm unfaithful to this woman. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> that needs yeah. to get back in there. It does. Um, 
but there's a brief covenant history that's given. So the sovereign's identified, brief covenant history. There's a, there are blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, the stipulations of the covenant. And then there's generally an initiation ceremony, which includes uh, like cutting rites even, like circumcision. We have baptism in this administration of the covenant of grace instead of circumcision. And then there's, uh, there's a feast. Right, generally, and uh, that is that is renewed to us every Lord's Day in the Lord's Supper. And by the way, the Word of God does teach that the Lord's Supper needs to be observed weekly on the Lord's Day. It's it's unambiguous; it really is. But we'll do a separate we'll, we'll do a separate installment on that. But bringing these two streams together even more fully, we hate individualism. The Scriptures are to the church, not to any individual. Let's um. Let's uh let's turn in our phones to Psalm twenty three real quick. Let's we'll turn. <laughs> you know, I have yet to see a pastor do that. I've seen pastors go, "If you got your Bibles today, hold them up in the air." You know, it's like well, <laughs> now, uh, now it's everybody's got it on their cell phones. Kids these days. Uh, so let's talk about Psalm twenty three. Real, real common one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful. Beautiful. These are the words of God. Anyway, how would an individualist read this? And remember, individualism is wrong. It's heretical. Um, Here's how they would not uh, read Psalm 23. Um, They would not see Psalm 23 as um, something uh, that's written about Jesus uh, and given for Jesus and belonging uh, to us, positionally us being in him. But even the writer, um, you know, let's even take into consideration David, who's penning these things. He is a typification of Jesus, and he understood and knew that about himself. Um, therefore, uh, he, he is writing these things, um, even seeing himself positionally as in Christ through faith. Um, the individual is going to... Uh, approach the text uh, to take claim of the promise as an individual and miss the point entirely of exalting uh, Christ uh, and who he is and um, all that he has accomplished. Uh, so. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's break that. Okay. So here's the right way to look at this. Well, let me give you the wrong way first. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay. So, um, I just I just got laid off from work, but it's okay. I don't have to want because God is my shepherd, and He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, I should really slow my heart rate down because I just got done watching um, Fox News, and I, you know, I'm throwing things, and, <laughs> right? You know, I, I'm sitting in my climate controlled house with fruit out of season that I bought in the store, complaining about the supply chain, going and getting a cold drink out of the refrigerator, and then telling my wife it's the end of the world honey and, <laughs> but um he makes me lie down in green pastures really means take a 
chill pill yeah. and he leads me beside still waters isn't that a sweet thought it's like this is more comforting than a noise than a noisemaker um he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake um yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i'll fear no evil that means you don't have to be afraid of death because you're going to go to heaven one day um and uh, your rod and the staff, they comfort me. How how wonderfully comforting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Ooh, that's going to happen one day at the great marriage feast of the Lamb. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Man, there's just no end to God's mercies and blessings. And then, um, then not only is this goodness and mercy going to follow us all the days of our life, but we get to be in the presence of God one day. Right now, the problem with all of that is because I didn't actually say anything wrong, but all of it was wrong headed. Right. It's like, so what we want to do is we want to point out the Lord is my shepherd. That is God's covenant name. Whenever you see that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, yod heh wah And that he, you're calling on God's covenant faithfulness. It's like if your wife calls you husband. Right, but yet that's his personal name, right? I am that I am. I am. I am Yahweh. Um, that that is the covenant name revealed to God's covenant people. And this Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. So when Jesus gets on the scene in John ten, he's saying, "I am the good shepherd." He's claiming deity. He's claiming to be Yahweh. So all of a sudden. We have this, Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, right? So in Psalm 110.1, Jesus has a God that he, that he worships, right? Yeah. Then we're not talking about subordinationism. He is God. Yeah. But when he was a perfect man, he's worshiping God. So this covenant God, he came to us as a man. He is our shepherd, even in the incarnation. But he is in submission in the incarnation to his father, who is the great shepherd of the flock. Amen. And Jesus says in John 12, I have many sheep that are not of this fold. I will bring them in and they will have one shepherd. They will be one flock with one shepherd. And in Ephesians 2, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. So this covenant God is the shepherd. And because he's the shepherd, the church, it's the church shall want for nothing. Why? Because he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. How does that work? In lying down in green pastures, we have safety from our adversaries, from the ravenous wolves. This is a quiet calmness that comes from no matter what kind of heresy is getting in this church. And yeah, Bad teaching pops up in every church. You're either aware of it or you're not. By the way, if you're a pastor going, oh, man, I'm glad there's no false teaching in my church. There is. You just don't know about it, right? There's this, There's this. Um, through heresies distressed, as the hymn says, yeah. God's going to bring us through this, and we can seriously lie down because he's leading. Besides these still waters, there's tumultuous waters where he promises to be with us in the fire, in the storm, right? But then there's the still waters where the waters often typify judgment in the sea as often where evil comes from. Yet in our still waters, in our baptism, we are united to God's flock. We are joined to Christ. He restores my soul. He constantly brings us into covenant renewal, just like a husband and a wife might renew their vows, especially if they weren't saved when they got, when they got married. I hate that term saved, but if they weren't genuinely in Christ when they got married, right? They might re- they might renew their vows. God renews covenant with us like that. 
like food replenishes the body, like marital intimacy renews that, that marriage relationship. Yeah. I'm trying to be sensitive in case there are young ears. So God actually renews covenant with us every Lord's Day, and he does so by eating and drinking. First, we come through the baptism. We pass through the waters of judgment unscathed on the other side, Go just like Christ's death was a, was a picture of the wrath of God. His burial was a picture of going into the ground that was cursed, but he rose again. So just like the flood, when the waters of judgment were coming down against the world that then was, our waters of judgment come and pass over our heads, which is why we sprinkle a lot of times in uh, baptism. That's not the hill I want to die on. I've baptized by immersion too. But sometimes some of the symbolism is lost there. We pass through the waters of judgment unscathed. And these green pastures, he sustains us by not only baptizing us, but by feeding us in the bread and in the wine. He restores our soul and assures us of forgiveness. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Christ takes responsibility for our sanctification. Christ takes responsibility for us living more and more unto Christ and less and less unto ourselves. Christ takes responsibility for us sinning less and loving righteousness more. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because somebody has gone into the grave and he's risen again. That's the whole point. There, I mean, there, you know, there's there are people going, the church will never die. I love what Chesterton said. He said the church has died many times, but her yeah. Savior knows the way out of the grave. Amen. <laughs> so your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's That's not sweet imagery, okay? this <laughs> The rod and the staff, they comfort me. That's the chastening of the Lord. That's one of the ways you know that you're a legitimate son of God is that he chastens you and he doesn't let you stay in your sin. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That is in this world with a whole bunch of God haters. He welcomes you to the table of the Lord in the bread and in the wine. He's talking about communion. He's talking about the peace offering in former administrations. He's talking about the Passover. He's talking about that which sustains us through eating and drinking. And uh, my cup runs over that blessing, that goodness, and that goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life is found in the house of God. This is the whole point is because God is a covenant God and he's the shepherd of the flock plural and we find our delight in dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. He sustains us by word, by sacrament, and he promises us to grow in obedience. Right. So that's about polar opposite of what the feel good. <laughs> right. I know you, you you probably have a ton to add. Go for oh, it. Oh no, not a ton. I just in in summary form to summarize everything that we've covered so far. I would like to say would it be um considering um the way that you just delivered Psalm 23 to us um in context with the whole conversation here, could we could we summarize uh viewing the scriptures as our covenant doc documents um as um as being or our, our hermeneutical uh, method of interpretation being uh, Christocentric uh, as the greater and coming to the lesser uh, be ecclesiastical. Is that a Christocentric ecclesiastical interpretation of these covenant documents that we're uh, aspiring for? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the whole point. The covenant that God makes is between Christ and his church. Right now, we are blessed as individuals being part of that body, 
right? If you, if you, if you make omelets every morning, no one can tell you you hate individual eggs, but it's in the process of losing that individualism to behold what God is doing in the church. So, yeah, absolutely. And if you're, if you're one of those people who love big words, like, like me, because big words can just so encapsulate an entire conversation in just a single couple or a single or a couple um, syllables. Um, Christocentric just means Christ is the center. And when we say a Christocentric hermeneutic, a hermeneutic, it, it comes from a Hermes. Um, it's a, it's a Greek God of, of revelation, but a hermeneutic is how you study. In this case, it's how you study the Bible. When we have a Christocentric hermeneutic, that means we study the Bible, always putting Christ at the center. And one of the ways that that will that will stick out is that we, I'm sure you've heard pastors and teachers say, "Now this psalm here is messianic." It's like, well, all the psalms are messianic. <laughs> it wouldn't be in there if they weren't messianic, you know. So um, that would be one example. Yes. So the Christocentric hermeneutic um, brings the Bible into Christ focus. What is the Bible? It's our covenant history as well as God's vows to us and to His church. Now and forevermore.